and welcome to another episode of Health Affairs This Week, the podcast where health affairs editors go beyond the headlines to explore the health policy news of the week. I'm Ellen Bayer. And I'm Rob Lott. Uh, So, Ellen, Labor Day was just uh, this past Monday. Hope you had a nice long weekend, maybe a little relaxing, maybe a little backyard barbecue with family and friends. Um, And I thought as uh, we health affairs editors get back into the work week in the world of health policy, it might be a good time to take a step back and take stock of where things stand with the healthcare workforce. Right, Rob. So during this time of celebrating and honoring the country's workforce, we need to recognize that there's some real concerns in healthcare that that need attention. And as our listeners know all too well, for the past two and a half years, the pandemic has just created historic, tremendous challenges for all healthcare workers. And it's not as if things were all rosy and good before the pandemic either. Before COVID hit, I mean, healthcare providers were already struggling with rapidly changing work environment, lots of burdensome administrative issues, underinvestment in public health, and all the challenges that come with a really fragmented and uncoordinated system. And there were just way more demands being put on healthcare workers than, than they really had time or capacity to deal with. And there were already concerns about shortages of primary care providers and nurses and other providers before the pandemic. And then the pandemic happened, which just put truly massive levels of strain on a, on a system that was already overstressed. Yeah, I remember well, you know, those first few months when healthcare workers really didn't have masks or other personal protective equipment they needed. Testing and contact tracing systems weren't that well established. Workplace safety protections left a lot to be desired. And there really was this tremendous uncertainty in those months before the vaccines became available. Workers really were at constant risk of infection. They had to find ways to protect themselves, their families. And there was also the trauma of caring for dying COVID patients, not to mention the tremendous toll the pandemic took in terms of illness and death among healthcare workers themselves. So it's not surprising that throughout the pandemic, healthcare workers reported high rates of stress, frustration, exhaustion, isolation, insomnia, the list goes on. Um, And, you know, one final note um, about that time period, of course, like COVID itself, it was clear that the workforce implications of the pandemic haven't been equal across populations or professions either. Exactly. I mean, the groups that who were already at a disadvantage have, have been affected disproportionately. In a report that was released in May of this year, Surgeon General Vivek Murthy pointed out many of the equity issues. I mean, healthcare workers of color who are overrepresented among low-wage workers were more likely to care for COVID patients and report that they didn't have enough personal protective equipment. And they were almost twice as likely as their white coworkers to test positive. And uh, even though immigrants make up only about 18% of the healthcare workforce, more than a third of the workers, uh, the healthcare workers who died in the first year of the pandemic were born outside of the U.S. And uh, female healthcare workers are more likely than men to be responsible for childcare. And as a result, they, they had greater disruptions in their careers and, and uh, there were increased disparities in professional advancement. Yeah, Ellen, these issues are ongoing um, and many healthcare workers are voting with their feet 
leaving or planning to leave the health professions altogether. Many different types of health providers are deciding to call it quits and finding alternatives that are perhaps, you know, less stressful or more flexible, allow for better work-life balance. It's really hard to get a handle on the data, though, in terms of these workforce shortages in the healthcare industry as a whole, since, you know, experiences have varied for different types of healthcare workers in different settings. But suffice it to say, substantial healthcare workforce shortages in primary care, nursing, nurses' aides, and home health aides, they're all being reported at, at really high levels and expected to continue for the foreseeable future. Right. And these shortages are particularly concerning given the increases in disability and chronic conditions because of long COVID. And given the limits on data collection at the national level, it can be really hard to keep track of where we are and to be able to tell if the supply of work is going to be enough to meet the demand, um, especially in the communities where the need's greatest. Right, Rob? Yeah, that's a really good point, Ellen. Um, and maybe this is a good time to um, shine a spotlight on um, the behavioral workforce in particular. Um, as we know, the pandemic has caused a spike in people struggling with mental health and substance use disorders. And the behavioral health workforce has struggled to keep up. A fact that was really brought home to me with a recent article we published on Health Affairs Forefront by authors from George Washington University. Uh, so the author started with the premise that we actually have terrible data about the current state of the behavioral health workforce. To quote the authors, they said, there is simply no comprehensive database on the existing behavioral health workforce, particularly for counselors and therapists. They continue, without better data, public and private efforts to increase the supply may not be effectively targeted to the highest need communities. And so the authors with a grant from SAMHSA, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Administration, actually set out to create that database. So how are they doing that? Well, so one in innovation was to use retail prescription data to identify physicians, nurse practitioners, physician assistants who prescribe behavioral health medications. They also use state licensure data to identify psychologists, um, clinical social workers, licensed professional counselors, and then using address information included in those files, they mapped the providers to counties and aggregated accounts at the county and state level. And you can actually on their website, we'll include a link to the, to the article in our show notes, um, uh, that you can map that data in a way that's really illuminating. Um, it's not perfect, obviously, um, but it represents a big step forward. Absolutely. So what do these data tell us about the state of the behavioral healthcare workforce? Well, it shows major gaps. Uh, for example, 50% of the counties in the U.S. had no psychiatrists or addiction medicine specialists. Nearly one out of four behavioral health prescribers did not see any Medicaid beneficiaries. And so um, in addition to other factors, um, it's pretty clear that access to behavioral health services is dependent in a large part on the geographic distribution and location of providers. Um, there's a lot more though. I encourage listeners to check it out. So as we think about how to best quantify and address shortages in healthcare workforce, I think we'd be remiss if we also didn't think about the downstream effects. I mean, as the Surgeon General's report points out, the effects will, will show up at the patient level uh, when patients get less one-on-one -on -one time with healthcare providers 
and it might take longer to get an appointment and there could be a higher risk of medical errors. At the system level, some services may be less available or even unavailable. And high turnover could mean that healthcare costs could increase even more than they would have otherwise. And at the community level, there could be a loss of trust in the healthcare system and racial and ethnic disparities could increase even more. And we may have an even harder time um, preparing for the next public health crisis. So Rob, with all these, all these pressures on the system and pretty bleak sounding projections, are there any workable solutions out there that could give some hope for the future of the healthcare workforce? Yeah, well, if we look back at the Surgeon General's report, they do point to a number of steps that various stakeholders can take to reduce the impact of COVID, general shortages, burnout. Um, There's a long list. I'll mention just a few things like eliminating punitive policies for professionals seeking mental health and substance use care, investing in peer support model programs, to allow professionals to reflect on challenging circumstances and ethical dilemmas, and even just recognizing the importance of social connection and community as a core value for professionals in these roles. This was actually the focus of another Forefront article published last month by Carrie Mader and colleagues at the University of Colorado. But I do also just want to acknowledge that um, in any market, a big part of attracting people to any given profession or job, um, and an important part is making sure you're paying people enough. And certainly in terms of um, roles like uh, home health aides, other long-term care service providers, it's clear that these these jobs are largely uh, underpaid. And um, certainly in the American Rescue Plan, um, last year's uh, COVID uh, relief bill, there was some additional funding with the aim of making uh, this kind of work a little more attractive. But the truth is those funds will expire in a few years. And if we want to avoid going backward, policymakers are going to have to look at more structural solutions and really um, examine what we're paying people to do this really hard, really important work. Absolutely. Well, clearly there's a lot more work to be done to shore up the healthcare workforce, and it's going to take long-term commitment both at the policy level and at the implementation level. So it seems like that's a good place to wrap up for today. Thanks to our listeners for tuning in, and please leave us a review. And if you like this episode, please tell a friend and subscribe to Health Affairs This Week wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, Ellen.